Today we're starting a brand new series on the book of Jonah. I'll share a little bit more about that here in just a moment, but excited to see what God has uh, in this book. I mean, this is an engaging book. This is an exciting book, and uh, looking forward to getting into it over the course of these next few weeks ahead. So you realize, right, you understand in the world in which we live that we are surrounded by boundary lines. Everywhere we go, there are boundary lines. Some of those boundary lines are seen. Some of those boundary lines are unseen. Some of those are unwritten, right? But the boundaries nonetheless still exist. And so we navigate in a world every single day of boundary lines. If you're out cutting your grass, for example, right? Have you ever done this? You, you, you've been out cutting your grass and you realize that your neighbor also cut his lawn a little bit before you did. And, uh, and so you realize that he cut his grass a little bit over into your yard. And part of you are like, oh, yes, he already cut part of my grass. And then others of you are like, oh, does he think this is his yard? Does he know this is my yard, not his yard, right? Because it's all about boundary lines. And so those boundary lines exist. Sometimes they're geographic. There are lines on a map. You know, there are nations that have fought virtually every war, largely, has probably been in some way related to boundary lines, lines on a map somewhere over territory. Sometimes the boundary lines have nothing to do with lines on a map. Sometimes they don't have anything to do with property. Sometimes those boundary lines are ethical in nature. You know, there are other ethics as it relates to the medical field, for example, certain codes of conduct that you don't cross. In the legal field, there are certain codes of ethics that you don't cross. There are ethics in business. You know, you don't take your, your co-worker's territory, right, your, their sales territory behind their back. You know, that's an unwritten code of ethics that, that, that's there. It's a boundary line. And those boundary lines exist in so many different ways. Sometimes the boundary lines have nothing to do with ethics or property at all. Sometimes they're relational in nature. It's how you treat other people. You know, in marriage, you've got, re- you've got relational boundary lines. You're, you're expected that you're going to be treated with love and with respect and, and vice versa as well. Your kids are going to expect that, and you should expect that from them. You know, people in your workplace, I mean, you expect that love and respect are going to be demonstrated. Those are unwritten boundary lines, and you know what it's like when somebody treats you in an unloving way. You know what it's like when you're disrespected, right? People all bow up and get all mad about that kind of stuff. Why? Because a boundary line has been crossed. We understand boundary lines. We navigate in a world that is surrounded and that is inundated with boundary lines. But what exactly is a boundary? Well, let's just take a look at this quick definition. I put one on the board here, just a very simple definition. A boundary is a line that marks the edge or the limit of something. You know, you, you remember being on the playground, and, and you remember having, you know, boundaries there. You couldn't go outside the fence, or you'd get in trouble, you'd be given de- detention, or you'd have to stand on the fence, right? You couldn't play that particular day. A boundary line just marks out for us the edge or the limit of something, and those boundaries exist relationally, they resi- uh, exist ethically, uh, uh, physically, right, geographically, but here's the thing we don't often think about, is that also we have boundary lines that are spiritual in nature as well. That we have boundary lines in our lives that, that aren't ethical, they aren't so much physical, but rather they are spiritual in nature. And the thing is, is that some of those lines you know exist and some of them you don't. Some of those boundary lines God has already given us, right, in, in his word. I mean, the Bible lays out for us boundary lines. I'm in a, uh, what's called a D group. Many of you are familiar with a D group, right, a little discipleship group 
We've got a, a ton of them going on now, that little groups of three, four, five. I've got uh, myself and three other guys in our church that are in the D group that I'm in, and uh, we get together once a week, and we've been moving through Scripture like all the D groups do. We're going through systematically through Scripture, and we're in the book of Judges now. So we've come all the way through a significant part of Old Testament history, and what I've been reminded in this D group, right, in this reading, is that there are lots of boundary lines in the Bible that are spiritual in nature. There, there, there are places where the Bible tells us, do this, don't do that, right? Do this, don't do that. And it's not about the rules. It's about a relationship with God. However, there are certain times, I mean, where rules just exist, where God tells us, this is what's expected. This is a boundary line that I have drawn for you. Don't cross this line, or it's going to ultimately cost you. It's going to hurt you as a result. And so there are spiritual boundary lines that we know about that God has given us. But here's what I want to look at this morning, and I think Jonah is exhibit A of this, is that there are also boundary lines that exist in our lives spiritually that we draw, that we put in place that should not exist. There are lines in our lives that you can't, you can't point to them, you can't see them, they're, they're unwritten, they're unseen, but they're boundary lines nonetheless that we have put in place in our relationship with God that should not exist. And there could be thousands of them to give an example. Let me just give a couple. Uh, let's say, for example, you're fully comfortable coming to a worship service and you say, you know what, I, I, I'm a follower of Jesus, I'm giving my life to Christ, and I'm comfortable going to worship, but I, I'm not going to cross the line to where God actually does, you know, gets anything else for me. I'm comfortable coming to church, I'm comfortable filling a seat, I'm comfortable listening, listening. I'm comfortable singing the songs, and even I agree with most everything that said, but I am not going to cross that line. I've got a boundary line in place where I'm going to be sure that I don't give too much in my relationship with God. Don't expect me to do this. Don't expect me to do that. Don't expect me to give this. Don't expect me to give that. I'm going to stay where it's comfortable in my relationship with God. Here's the problem. All through scripture, there are people who had to take a step into very uncomfortable territory because God led them. Right? It was because of their relationship with God that God said, I'm going to lead you into some very uncomfortable territory, and you're going to have to trust me. And yet in churches just like this, all over this country, all over this world, there are believers like you and like me who have these unseen boundary lines that say, God, I am not going this far with you. For some, it's an unseen boundary line that says, I'll pray for, and I will love, and I will serve People, as long as they are of a certain color, as long as they are of a certain uh, uh, lifestyle, as long as they're not from certain places, and it's an unseen, unwritten boundary line of a spiritual nature that we're not willing to cross. You know, when we begin to think about what it really means to follow Jesus, and when we begin to think about what it really means to be in a relationship with God... God gave everything for us, right? And that's kind of where he started. He's all in from the very beginning. And what he desires and expects from us is that we also be all in with him. That, that's, that's the expectation. That's the, that's the standard. God says, I've gone all in for you, and I expect that you're going to go all in for me. So when we begin to look at what that relationship looks like, if, if our worship of God is only really on our terms, if our relationship with God is just simply showing up for a service, if our prayer life is really only about praying for God to bless our steak and potatoes that particular day or to keep us safe when we lay our heads down at night and to wake us up the next morning, and, and, and if, if, if our understanding of 
what it means to obey is to only obey when it's comfortable to us. Listen, we've got some boundaries in our lives as Christians that really, really need to be dealt with. Because Jesus didn't come, and he didn't die, and he didn't rise again, all as part of the plan of God the Father. He didn't do all that just simply so that he can uh, you know, just bless our food and that be it, so that the depth of our prayer life only extends beyond our supper time. He didn't do all that he did, dying, rising, and, and coming for us to begin with. He didn't do all that just to keep us comfortable that we might come to him and follow him on our terms and not his. No, when Jesus came and when he died and when he rose, he did all of that for you specifically so that he could reach you and reach me in the pit where we were, in our sin, so that he could forgive us, cleanse us, fulfill us, spin us around, and send us into the very broken world that broke us in the process. That's why he did what he did. And all along the way, he desires us to be stepping over boundary lines that we've created to the point to where we can one day say, you know what? I am following you, God, with all my heart and all my soul and all my mind and all my strength. And what we'll find is he meets us there and he provides for us and he takes care of us along the way. When we get to the book of Jonah, as we start this series today, it's just going to be a very brief series through the month of August, but we're going to see all of this that I've just described, boundary lines, going all in with God. We're going to see that demonstrated in the book of Jonah. And today we're going to start this series, and it's just four weeks in length, all through the four Sundays of the, of the month of August. And so here's the good thing. So you're here today, right? I don't even have to ask if. You're here. Uh, awake is a separate question, I suppose, but you're here. And, uh, and so look at this. By the time this sermon is done, if you survive it, uh, 25% of this series you've already experienced, right? One out of four is already done. You've already covered almost half of the series just today, right? I mean, I'm no mathematician, but that's getting close to half after today. So I think it's real easy for you to finish out the whole series, right? So these four chapters, and what you're going to find is, is that when we go through these four chapters in the book of Jonah, an amazing, engaging story, what we're going to find is, is that it's like looking in a mirror. <laughs> it's not about a, a man and a fish. It is about you, and it is about me and the God who made us. And it's going to be a story that hits us right where we are. Incredibly engaging, uh, incredibly uh, applicable, but it's going to be this story right here that is still being lived out every single day, today included, by people just like you and by people just like me. And so I encourage you to plan to be here and to, to finish out this series, today being the first, four messages in length. And let's pray and let's see what God's going to do as a result of this time together in this incredible book of scripture. So you probably, for some of you perhaps, had a little trouble finding the book of Jonah. Now I'll be honest, uh, I preach for a living, right? Been to seminary and uh, there are I don't spend every day of my life in the book of Jonah. Uh, there are times, certain books of the scripture, where I'm not going to turn right to it. I have to like, okay, let's see, was it there? Was it this way? Was it this way? Was it this way? And you know what? That's perfectly fine. That's okay. What you'll find is when you're looking for Jonah, it is somewhat of an obscure book. It's not a large book. It's not like an Isaiah. It's not like a Jeremiah. It's not a major prophet. It is a minor prophet. And when we use that terminology, what that simply means is it's termed a minor prophet simply because of the length of the book. It's just those four chapters long. It's a very small book of Scripture. And when you find it tucked in along with some other books of prophecy, what you'll find is, is, is that it is a story that some have argued with through the centuries. If you go online today and you Google Jonah or, or the, the Old Testament book of Jonah, right, and you begin to read um, online articles about Jonah, here's what you'll find. I can almost guarantee it. 
If you dig enough, you'll find certain uh, uh, blog posts or articles about the book of Jonah or the person of Jonah that want, run one of two tracks. One track is it's going to treat this book like a real, genuine, historical account. More conservative theologians will say this is a book that captures a historical event. Jonah was a real person. But if you look long enough, in fact, it might be the first blog post or article you come to, you'll find another train, right, another uh, 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 set of tracks, right, that treat Jonah and its story as allegorical or mythical. And what it'll say is, is that Jonah was not a real person. Uh, this book doesn't describe real events. What it is, is it's a style of literature that was written that help us to pull out certain principles about who God is. So the first question is, how do we treat the book of Jonah? Here's how I treat the book of Jonah. Here's how I encourage you to treat the book of Jonah, and I'll tell you why. It's to treat it like a historical book where everything in it is true, exactly the way that it's written, and understanding that Jonah was a genuine person who experienced everything that's in this book that bears his name. And the reason we do that is for a number of reasons, but the biggest is because in the Gospels, when Jesus is talking, he actually brings up Jonah in a conversation. And what he's talking about is his own, Jesus' own death and burial and resurrection. And what he does is, it's as though he's thinking, now how can I relate this to a group of Jewish people in ways that they will understand? My death, my burial in the grave for three days, and, uh, and, and then my resurrection. Here's what I'll do. I'll go back to a story that they're well familiar with, that they understand is true, I'll remind them about Jonah. And what Jesus did was in the Gospels, he said, in the same way that Jonah was in the belly of the fish for three days and three nights, he treated it as a historical account, treating it as though it really happened, right? And if, he, if, if it didn't, he was lying, which we then have real problems with our salvation. Jesus said in the same way Jesus, or, or Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. In the same way, so shall the Son of Man. And he goes on to describe his own death, burial, and resurrection, treating Jonah as a historical figure. And so if Jesus treated him like a historical figure, if Jesus treated his story as true, who am I to argue with the Son of God, okay? So that's how we're going to deal with it. Jonah was a real person. The events we're about to read here, starting in chapter 1 today, really genuinely happened uh, you say, wow, I don't know if I can trust this type of miracle, the levels of miracles that are here. Listen, if God created the heavens and the earth from nothing to begin with, that was the biggest miracle of all. Certainly, he can appoint and create and allow a fish that he made to swallow a man that he created for the amount of time that he desires. All right, so all the heavy lifting was done whenever he created the world and all its inhabitants in the first place. So having all that said, let's go ahead and begin to jump in. Looking at the first chapter of the book of Jonah. So what is the setting here? We're looking at about 750 to 800 years before Jesus would walk the earth. Israel had a king. His name was Jeroboam II. They had many kings. Jeroboam II was just one of them. He would reign from about 793 to 753 BC. During his reign, we begin to see, for the most part, the events unfolding that we'll read of in the book of Jonah. Now, we don't find Jonah mentioned much in Scripture. We, I just mentioned one in the New Testament. He's also mentioned elsewhere in 2 Kings chapter 14. And what you'll find in 2 Kings 14, verse 25, is that he is associated with this king, Jeroboam II. Now, I know not all of you are history people. He didn't come for a history lesson, but just hold on for about 60 seconds. Jeroboam II, again, was a king of Israel in Jonah's time. 2 Kings chapter 14, verse 25, tells us that under Jeroboam II's reign, Israel's territory was extended. The boundary lines were expanded. They grew geographically, which was a really, really good thing. 
What 2 Kings 14, 25 also tells us is that Jonah had a little bit to do with that because he prophesied that that would happen. And we can assume that he was a real encouragement to the king to say, hey, listen, God is in this. This is where God is leading. Let's expand the territory. And so there is a possibility that Jonah was well-known in the land of Israel. I mean, after all, when you're the prophet to the king and it's under your, your, your insight, right, and your words that the kingdom spreads and grows, I mean, you're probably going to be pretty well-known in the land of Israel, more than likely Jonah was. However, when we read of him in the book of Jonah, he's not a national hero. Man, he's a prophet with some serious running shoes with a lot of lessons to learn. And when we look at him, when we look in our own mirror called Jonah, we learn a lot, not just about this prophet from 27, 2800 years ago, but we learn an awful lot about us. And so knowing the backstory, let's go ahead and jump in. Jonah chapter 1, beginning in verse 1. We'll cover chapter 1 today and then each successive Sunday for the next three Sundays. We'll add in another chapter until we finish the story. So Jonah chapter 1. Let's begin in verse 1. If you don't have a copy of Scripture, you can read along with me on the overhead behind me, but man, we really would love for you to snag a free copy out in the lobby on your way out today. So chapter 1, verse 1. So it reads, The word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, the great city, and cry against it, for their wickedness has come up before me. It's a very simple command. What we find in the very beginning of this book is an introduction of two key characters, one being Jonah <laughs> and the other being God. And so God gives Jonah a very simple command. He says, Jonah, the clock has struck midnight. There are a group of people in a city called Nineveh. And whenever God would say Nineveh, no doubt the chill would go down Jonah's spine, right? When you hear fingers, nails on a chalkboard, it would probably have been that feeling for Jonah, Nineveh. And God is saying to Jonah, the time has come, the clock has struck midnight, the time is getting short for these people who are entrenched in sin and rebelliousness against me, and I'm going to send you, Jonah, as my mouthpiece, as my prophet, to go warn them that they need to repent, and if they don't, they're going to lose everything. And so Jonah receives this invitation to go to the city of Nineveh. Now, you may think, wow, I mean, I've never seen airline tickets through Delta going to Nineveh. You know, this seems so far away. If you've ever been in the U.S. military, ever been deployed to Iraq, right, then you've been right where this scene is set. In fact, Nineveh sits over modern-day Mosul, right? So it's in about 250 miles, 220 miles uh, uh, north of Baghdad is kind of the setting of where we are here. Modern-day Iraq, uh, modern-day Mosul. If you've ever been deployed there in the military, then bingo, you've been in the land of Jonah. All right? And so, so God gives this very simple command to Jonah, arise, travel this 500 miles from Israel, and I want you to go to the land of Nineveh, and this is going to be your message. Chapter 1, verse 3. Let's move on to the next verse. But Jonah rose up to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. Now, we don't know exactly where Tarshish is. Most theologians will say that it was somewhere very possibly modern-day Spain. And if that's the case, that would be about 2,500 miles from where Jonah was. 
He goes down to Joppa. You see what it says there, that he went down to Joppa. That, that's that's a, uh, a significant phrase. He, he mentions twice in verse 3, going down. He is going away from God. So he goes down to Joppa, found a ship which was going to Tarshish, paid the fare, and he went down into it to go with them to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. So Jonah finds this ship. He moves west when God called him east, literally on a map. He goes the opposite direction, and he jumps this ship, and he goes very possibly, he's willing to go five times the distance of where God had originally called him. It would have been 500 to 550 to go to Nineveh. He aimed for about 2,500 miles in the opposite direction. And the Bible says, not just did he go down to Joppa, not did he just go down into this ship, but he is also going from the presence of the Lord. This is not about geographical boundary lines. This has everything to do with spiritual boundary lines, and Jonah is crossing them in a very, very dangerous way. As I said, looking at Jonah can be like looking in a mirror. You know, maybe for you, you're in the midst of crossing some lines that God has put in place in your life. Those boundary lines don't just apply to prophets, by the way. They apply to every one of us. Maybe God has put a boundary line in place as it relates to your finances, and you've crossed that line. No one will ever know. They have enough to begin with. This is time for me to have a little, right? And you've crossed a line that God never intended. Maybe it's a line that relates to your moral purity. Maybe it's a line that relates to a relationship, how you treat someone, how you speak to someone. Maybe it has everything to do with your business ethics. Maybe it has everything to do with how you're raising your children. I have no idea what it may be, but very possibly in this room today, there are numerous examples of boundary lines that are being crossed that God never intended to be crossed. And it's not just that you're stepping over the line, but along with that, as a believer especially, you're also stepping not just out of the will of God, but away from God himself. And Jonah paid a fare and boarded a ship, and those ships sail daily, even from right here in our own community, even right here in this church, of people who are sailing out of the presence, figuratively speaking, of God. Reminds us of a principle. I'll give you just a few today. I usually only do one. Today we'll have three, right? They're all free. (laughs) So, first one is this. We're all runners, aren't we? We're all runners. Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We all are prone to run. Man, there have been times in my life where I knew what God wanted, and I strapped the shoes on and just took off the opposite direction may have seemed very minor, insignificant. Sin is never minor. Sin is never insignificant. Sin is always costly. We're all runners. Here's, here's the good news. It's not an excuse, but it sure is good for us to know this. That it's principle number two, that even though we're all runners, when we run, God always pursues. You can almost picture that little kid, right? Maybe you were the little kid, seven, eight years old. You know, that's it. I've had it. I can't have ice cream for breakfast, Pop-Tarts for lunch. I'm moving out, right? You pack your bag. You got your Winnie the Pooh backpack, and you got your Scooby-Doo lunchbox, and you put some crackers in there, uh, you know, cereal, 
And, uh, you know, you, you, you got all your stuff ready. You got part of a change of clothes. You thought all you needed was a shirt, and that's okay. And uh, you packed all your bag, and you told mom and dad goodbye, and, and out you went, and you got to the edge of the property, and you turned, and you waved, and you went a little further. You never knew mom was following you the whole way down to your friend's house, right? Right? That's the way God does. When we run, he pursues because he loves you. And the sad fact is that many people in full tilt sprint away from God, say, I'm tired of the rules and I'm tired of the boundaries and I'm tired of a God who's always wanting to oppress me. And and what they don't realize is it's not about the rules. It's not about the boundaries. It's about a life of fulfillment and joy that God loved you so greatly to die for you to be able to have. (laughs) And he puts these boundaries in place. And when we go over the fence and go running for the woods, there he is running with us. And for some of you today, that's really good news because you may feel like you're a thousand miles from him, whereas in reality, you're really only one step away because he's walked with you, even though you didn't know it. And so Jonah is in full tilt run away from God. Chapter 1, verse 4, verse 5, look at how God pursues him in this particular instance. It says, so the Lord hurled a great wind on the sea, and there was a great storm on the sea, so that the ship was about to break up. I mean, God, this does not sound good, but this is God's way of pursuing. Verse 5, so the sailors became afraid, and every man cried to his God, that's little g. We don't know if these sailors were from Nineveh. We don't know if they were part of the Assyrian Empire or not, but nevertheless, they lived in a polytheistic culture. They had many gods that they believed in, all of them false. And so they're, they're crying out to their false gods, and they threw the cargo, which was in the ship, into the sea to lighten it for them. But Jonah had gone below into the hold of the ship, lain down, and had fallen sound asleep. So God sends this storm, and, and he does this ultimately to begin to put Jonah in position, listen to this, for rescue. It's going to be in a very unconventional way, but God still at times uses circumstances today to get his people's attention. And whenever we go through a storm, maybe you're in a storm today in a trial or a difficulty in your life. When we go through those times of trial in our lives, sometimes it's for him to protect us, right? Say, for example, let's say you, uh, 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 you, you lost your job. Let's say that. And, and you think, oh my goodness, what am I going to do? I lost my job. Maybe God's protecting you. Maybe God cut you loose from where you were because he knew what was going to happen down the road and it wasn't going to be good for you. And so sometimes those trials come and we think, what a horrible circumstance. Where is God? And God says, woohoo, hello, I'm at work. I'm protecting you. This trial is ultimately for your good. But then other times the storms come not to protect us as much as it is to draw us home. Because when you're sick and tired of the storm, you look for shelter. And he is our shelter. I had edged the yard the other day, driveway, (laughs) the yard, like the whole yard. You know, that would be kind of awkward. So I edged the driveway front. I edged a little tiny bit that we have in the back. And... uh, and I'm, and I'm now blowing that off with the blower. I don't know if you realized it, but we've had about 412 inches of rain in seven days. We've had some storms, right? So I'm out there blowing in the front, and I, and I see this light, and you know, just flash. You know that quick flash that says, quit blowing off the driveway? And so I'm blowing, I'm thinking, I've just, you know, you got a little bit more to go. And so it's just, you know, and then you know another flash, and it's like, you know what? Forget the backyard. I'm going on inside, all right? It was that circumstance that sent me running for shelter. And there may be some here today, and you're mad at God, and you're angry at God, and you don't know why things are going the way they're going. And just possibly, not every time, 
Storms come to the upright and godly who are in his will also. But sometimes God is bringing that storm, orchestrating it for a supernatural reason to bring you, runner, home. And that's what he did for Jonah. He sends this storm for a reason. Look at what it says, verse 6 and verse 7. So the captain approaches Jonah and he says, How is it that you're sleeping? Get up, call on your God. I mean, this is, a, this is a boat full of pagans, right? And they don't even worship the one true God at this point. And they're calling on Jonah to pray. I mean, how, how sad is this? So he says, perhaps your God will be concerned about us so that we'll not perish. Well, each man said to his mate, come, let us cast lots. It doesn't say what this looked like. Maybe stones or some form of dice or something. But let us cast lots so that we can learn on whose account this calamity has struck us. So they cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. Cue the organ. Right? It's all coming to a head. Verse 8. And they said to him, tell us now, on whose account has this calamity struck us? What is your occupation? Where do you come from? What is your country? From what people are you? And he said to them, I'm a Hebrew, and I fear the Lord God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land... And the men became extremely frightened, and they said to him, how could you do this? Again, these are lost pagan sailors who understand Jonah's predicament before Jonah does. For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord because he had told them. And they said to him, what should we do to you that the sea may become calm for us? For the sea was becoming increasingly stormy. Look at the next verse, verse 12. Next slide. And he said to them, pick me up, throw me into the sea, and the sea will become calm for you. For I know that on account of me, this great storm has come upon you. However, the men rowed desperately. Remember, Jonah didn't care about the people of Nineveh. He had no compassion for them. But these pagan, ungodly men had compassion for Jonah. They're trying to rescue, save his life. It says they rowed desperately to return to land, but they couldn't, for the sea was becoming even stormier against them. There is another principle that we need to understand here that comes into play for all who run and for all those who are, who are outside the will of God by their own design, by their own desire. And the principle is this, that the consequences of your running and the consequences of my running from God often, if not always, affect other people. Dad, if you're full tilt running away from God, your children will be impacted, guaranteed. When we run, the consequences are not compartmentalized just to us. But when we run, those consequences extend to the lives of of others. For Jonah, this was a nation hanging in the balance. Look at the next verse. We pick up the story as we come towards the close. So they called on the Lord. Now they're praying to the one true God. And they said, we earnestly pray, O Lord, do not let us perish on account of this man's life. And don't put innocent blood on us. For you, O Lord, have done as you pleased. And so they picked up Jonah They threw him into the sea, and the sea stopped its raging. And then the men feared the Lord greatly, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord, and they made vows. Interesting thing about the story, history tells us in 765, kind of around this series of events, there was a plague that would have affected this region of the world. 
Two years later, there was an eclipse of the sun. About four years after that, 759 B.C., there was a second plague. Now, the ancients, right, 2,800 years ago, often thought that those kinds of signs were signs of divine judgment. Uh, granted, they would have believed in many gods. But it was as though God used the circumstances to prepare their hearts. And now for these sailors, on the midst of this sea, in the midst of the biggest storm they'd ever seen, where they've thrown all their cargo and now a living human being over the edge, it's as though God has used the circumstances to ultimately bring them to a place of spiritual awakening. And he uses those circumstances in the same way still today. What you see, what you see as a storm, God may see as your salvation. What you see as a heartbreak, God may see as your ultimate healing because it sends you to him. What you see as a difficulty, as a trial, as the wheels coming off, the bottom falling out, God may see as your final rescue that sends you back home to him. Verse 17, look at how God is in charge of the whole circumstance. And the Lord appointed, when you've created everything in existence, you can appoint whatever you want. God appointed a great fish to swallow Jonah. And Jonah was in the stomach of the fish three days and three nights. All of this for Nineveh's salvation. All of this for Jonah's restoration. And all of this for God's glory. But what had to happen was repentance. First on the part of a prophet, and then on the part of a pagan nation. I don't know where you are in your relationship with God today, Christian. But just maybe in some area of your life, you're in full tilt sprint away from him. And the good news is, is that God, through that journey over the rail and into the woods, has probably pursued you. And maybe, just maybe, some of the difficulty you face in here, the turmoil, and even out there with the circumstances, is a God who loves you far more than you can realize, saying it's time to come home. 1 John 1, 9 says, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and he's just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And all it takes is a turn that says, oh God, would you forgive and cleanse even me? If you've never given your life to Jesus, it starts with the acknowledgement that you need a Savior, that he came and he died and he rose. And as you call on him, Jesus, to forgive and take over, He'll take you in, and he'll save you, and he'll keep you, even through the worst storms of life. Let's pray. Heads bowed, eyes closed. Lord, I'm not going to ask for people to raise hands, but I pray now, just in the quietness of this moment, that in hearts all over this room, Lord, that you would make evident whom you're calling home to yourself. Lord, just the sheer statistics, there are probably runners scattered all through this building. Here today, it's awesome. But Lord, nonetheless, on the inside, running in some area of disobedience and rebellion against you. And today, Lord, 
you've reminded them, I hope, that you went over the fence with them. And Lord, you've pursued them all the way up to this point. And whether it's this message and the timing or whether it's circumstances in their lives, hopefully, Lord, all of that blended together will lead them back to you. And God, we thank you that the beauty of that is, is not that we have to come to church for six months to earn your favor or give a certain amount of money. But Lord, when our hearts break over our sin and when we confess it and turn our sights towards you, it's there that you accept us. And it's there that you, that you wash away the guilt and the stain and that we're able to walk in clean fellowship again. Lord, we know we never lose our salvation as Christians. But when we're running, it can sure feel like we have. So God, I pray today all over this place that you would restore joy and fulfillment for many who choose to come home to you. God, for those that have never placed their faith in Jesus, right where they sit today, may today be the moment when they lay down their sin and invite literally Jesus himself to come and to forgive and to take over. Thank you for what you'll do and the victory you'll bring today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.